Today on the Matt Wall Show, politicians in D.C. ship $40 billion off to Ukraine while babies in our country don't even have enough food to eat. The priorities here seem to be wildly out of whack. Also, the White House explicitly encourages more illegal protests out of judges' homes. The Treasury Secretary worries about the economic impact of killing fewer babies. Britney Spears fans are now worried about her mental health after mobilizing to get her freed from her conservatorship. Perhaps they should have been more careful of what they wished for. And in our daily cancellation, a local weatherman is smeared by the national media as a racist because of something he tweeted about an NBA player. But was the comment actually racist? We'll talk about all that and more today on The Matt Wall Show. You know, right now, there are 50 million kids attending America's public schools. The left isn't even trying to hide it anymore. They have made it clear that their intention is to indoctrinate the next generation in their ideology. Real-world skills like reading, writing, arithmetic, and American history have been replaced with social justice, gender confusion, test-driven instruction in the classroom. Thankfully, you have a choice, and this is why Freedom Project Academy was created. Freedom Project Academy is an accredited classical online school built on Judeo-Christian values for students in kindergarten through high school. Freedom Project Academy has taken the interaction of the traditional classroom and created an online atmosphere where students across the country are instructed by live teachers in small classes who teach students how to think, not what to think. So go to freedomforschool.com and request your free information packet today. That's freedomforschool.com. And don't forget to check out their weekly podcast, uh, The Dr. Duke Show, available on iTunes and more. Take back control of your kids' education you want to go to freedomforschool.com. Again, that's freedomforschool.com today. With our country ravaged by crisis after crisis and now facing inflation worse than anything we've seen in my lifetime, in 40 years, in fact, our leaders in D.C. have decided that now is the best time to ship a little uh, gift basket to Ukraine. Actually, it's a rather large gift basket, and inside, among other prizes and goodies, is uh, $40 billion. The House, yesterday, with the help of a majority of Republicans— along with every Democrat, of course, last night voted for uh, and approved an additional $40 billion to Ukraine. And when we say to Ukraine, we mean specifically to the government of Ukraine, a government that happens to be among the most corrupt in the entire world, a government which is also, most importantly, foreign. We are sending billions to a foreign government. Billions more, I should say, as Representative Thomas Massey points out, this is just the latest bundle of aid that we've sent to Ukraine. And when you add together everything we've sent to the Ukrainian government over the past six months, you find that we have spent more on Ukraine in half a year than we've spent on building roads and bridges in our own country over the past entire year. Now, do we know exactly how this money will be spent? Will there be any accountability? Do we, as the American taxpayers funding these sugar daddy payments, have any ability whatsoever to influence or determine the manner in which this money is spent? Do we directly benefit from these expenditures? Will giving your money to the Ukrainian government help your family? I mean, isn't it a form of taxation without representation when money is sent to a government that we as the taxpayers have no say in or influence over? The answer to that last question is, of course, yes. As to all the rest, the answer is no, 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 and no. So how can this be justified? How can our leaders, especially now, given the dire economic straits that our country is in, somehow justify sending another blank check to some foreign country 6,000 miles away? Well, Nancy Pelosi uh, has an answer to that question, and she found it somehow in Scripture, if you can believe it. Listen to this. The brutality of Putin is not just what he's doing in Ukraine, but the impact that his 
that it is having on food for the world. So when you're home thinking, what is this all about? Just think about when I was hungry, you fed me in the Gospel of Matthew. It also, I was so pleased that Mr. Meeks, the chairman of the Foreign Affairs Committee, was with us because we talked about sanctions, which are a product of his committee. So this is what happens when you quote the Bible without ever having once in your life opened the book to read it yourself. You might then embarrass yourself by claiming that when Jesus said, feed the hungry, he meant that we should line the pockets of corrupt foreign bureaucrats, politicians, and defense contractors. That's what he meant by the hungry. And we have to do this because, as Mitch McConnell explains, the situation in Ukraine is the most important thing going on in the entire world right now. Listen. Everyone, um, I think we all agree the most important thing going on in the world right now is the war in Ukraine. I had a chance to call the president last week and request that the Ukraine package move by itself and quickly. Uh, he uh, said, let me think it over. He called back in about 15 minutes and agreed that we need to do this uh, Ukraine only and quickly. I think we're on the path to getting that done. Discussions are underway between the House and Senate appropriators on the crafting of the package. It needs to be clean of extraneous matters directly related to helping the Ukrainians uh, win the war. Ukraine only. Ukraine first. Make Ukraine great again. Always remember my rule of bipartisanship, which is that if both parties want to do something and can actually agree on it, um, that only means that the idea is so uniquely terrible that it managed to appeal to both sides. Like, if Democrats are the only ones who want to do something, it's always a bad idea. If Republicans are the only ones who want to do something, it's very often a bad idea, especially if it's the establishment or the Republican Party in D.C. But if they both together are looking at each other and, and say, yeah, this is a great idea, guys. Let's do it. A hundred percent of the time, it's a bad idea. Um, now, McConnell says that we can all agree that Ukraine is the most important thing in the world right now. And when he says all, he means literally just the people in that room and elsewhere in the building. Because if you go outside of that room and you travel, say, to, I don't know, the nearest uh, gas station, you will not find a single person, not a single one, who identifies Ukraine as their highest priority. It is a special sickness of American politicians that they always think the most important needs in the world are the needs of people who are not American. And that is certainly not the way that most Americans see it, however. In fact, I would have a difficult time listing all the things that are more important to me than Ukraine because the list would be far too long. Suffice it to say that anything and everything which directly impacts my family, my community, and my countrymen is more important to me than Ukraine. The very existence of Ukraine as a country is not as important to me. It's actually not that important to me at all, in fact. And I'll give you something that is, that is uh, certainly far, far more important than Ukraine, and which should be, at this point, the top priority of every politician in D.C. if they weren't busy figuring out how to, make, how to make Ukrainian bureaucrats richer, and that is the baby formula shortage. There is a nationwide shortage of baby formula that has reached crisis levels. CNN, which has finally decided to begrudgingly acknowledge this problem, uh, reports today, quote, and some of these numbers are just shocking, so listen to this. 
For months, stores nationwide have been struggling to stock enough baby formula. Manufacturers say they're producing at full capacity and making as much formula as they can, but it's still not enough to meet current demand. The out-of-stock rate for baby formula hovered between 2% and 8% in the first half of 2021, like right when Biden got into office, but began rising sharply last July. Between November 2021 and early April 2022, the out-of-stock rate jumped to 31%. That rate increased another 9% points in just three weeks in April and now stands at 40%. In six states, Iowa, South Dakota, North Dakota, Missouri, Texas, and Tennessee, more than half of baby formula was completely sold out during the week starting April 24th. And although seven states had between 40-50% of baby formula products out of stock as of early April, 26 states are now struggling with supply. Uh, many stores are now, as I mentioned yesterday, they're rationing baby formula. Some parents report having to drive hours just to find a single container of it. And this is a major problem because... And this, I think, comes maybe as, as a surprise to non-parents. It certainly it did surprise me, I'll admit. Um, and that is that breastfeeding is not an easy or automatic thing. Some women are not able to breastfeed at all for a variety of reasons. In many cases, as was the case with our twins, breastfeeding has to be supplemented with formula to make sure the babies get all the nutrients they need. It, uh, it's, it's possible to make formula at home, but if you don't do it right or use the correct ingredients, you could deprive your child of the nutrition that he needs to grow or even just survive. You know, some people trying to dismiss this problem have just waved their hands and said, well, what did people do before prepackaged baby formula existed? The answer is that lots of babies were malnourished and uh, many of them died. That's what people did. The infant mortality rate was astronomical everywhere in pre-modern times. That had a lot to do with diseases and the lack of proper medicine and modern medicine, but also a lack of proper nutrition played a significant role. So why is this happening? Now, apologists for the Biden administration have tried to blame, of course, everyone and everything uh, but Biden and his, and his administration. They point to the pandemic, uh, the supply chain, one source of the problem. They say they also note that Abbott Nutrition, which is a manufacturer of baby formula, recalled three of its products because of possible bacterial contamination. Uh, and that happened a few months ago, and that's true. But what they fail to mention is that the FDA, a federal agency controlled by the administration, has made the problem exponentially worse, as always. There is a vast surplus of baby formula in Europe, which could be imported to the U.S. to help solve this problem. But the FDA has made importing much of it illegal because they have not approved the European formula, despite the fact that it's perfectly safe and it's used by millions of parents and consumed by millions of babies in Europe without any problem. So as usual, bureaucracy walls off potential solutions to major problems with regulation and red tape. That's a big part of this story. Now, of course, the FDA isn't the only culprit here. They're simply being as useless, onerous, and counterproductive as they always are. And the shortage cannot be blamed entirely on Biden, obviously. But the great sin committed by Biden and our other leaders in D.C. when it comes to this issue is that they are not focused on trying to solve it. I mean, we pay the federal government $4 trillion a year so that they can take care of issues like this. And for all that money that we spend, we should be able to expect that they'll take care of issues like this. Like, we are um, a modern, industrialized Western country, and we spend 
$4 trillion a year on this government. We should not have babies potentially starving because they don't have enough formula. But we do because, um, you know, our politicians, they're worried about Ukraine and about a thousand other things that should be much further down the list of priorities, if those things even make it on the list at all. As I pointed out yesterday, we've heard, we've heard more from the federal government about the student loan crisis than we have about this crisis. They have greater concern for graduate students whining about their bills than for infants who don't have enough food to eat. Infantilized adults taking priority over actual infants. Just as Ukrainian bureaucrats take priority over infants in this country. There are many different comparisons that put this into perspective. And all in all, the picture here is that our politicians have many priorities. None of them include doing the job that we actually put them there to do. Now let's get to our five headlines. You ever notice it when uh, stores are trying to sell products they know next to nothing about? Maybe they push the shoes that are shoes that are most popular rather than the ones that actually fit your feet. Well, I like rockauto.com because what they know is auto parts and all they sell is auto parts and related tools. Rock Auto is a family business founded by automotive engineers over 20 years ago. Their original goal was and still is to make auto parts available and affordable so customers can keep their daily drivers and classic, classic uh, cars safely on the road every day. RockAuto.com's online parts catalog is uniquely easy to use. You quickly see all the parts available for your specific car or your SUV or truck, whatever you drive. There are photos, specs, and installation tips to help you pick the best parts to meet your vehicle's needs. RockAuto.com will not only have the part, but usually they'll give you several trusted brands to choose from. RockAuto's kits are also popular because they bundle together all the parts needed for a successful repair. You don't get um, halfway through installing a timing bell to discover you need another pulley. Professional mechanics and do-it-yourselfers always pay the same reliably low prices with rockauto.com. So go to rockauto.com, get the brakes, shocks, carpet, wipers, headlights, mirrors, mufflers, lug nuts, or any other part you need. Be sure to check Walsh in their How Did You Hear About Us box so they know that I sent you. And the other thing to keep in mind, too, by the way, when you hear about the, you know, as, as we're now starting finally to hear about the baby formula shortage problem, and this is a problem that's been brewing for, for months, and it's been a problem for months, and we're just starting to hear about it because the media has no, has no choice now but to report on it. And um, along with uh, the, the recall, and they're going to blame that, and I already explained how, you know, the, that, yeah, some of that goes back to the FDA, though because they're, they're preventing us from solving that problem. But the other thing is this, this, this uh, claim that, well, it's because of the pandemic, the pandemic-related supply chain issues. Well, always remember when you hear that as an explanation or an excuse for any of the problems we're suffering through right now, including the baby formula shortage, when they hear it, uh, well, it's pandemic-related. No, it's not pandemic-related. There is no reason why COVID itself would have caused a supply chain problem. There is no reason why COVID itself, the virus, would have stopped us from having enough baby formula. No, that all stems from the policies that were put in place in this country and in countries across the world. It was the decision by politicians, many of them still in power in D.C. right now, to shut the world down for no reason, ostensibly because of COVID. That's what it comes back to. It's not pandemic, it's not COVID, it's them and their policies. So in the end, it does all come back to them. 
And speaking of them, uh, Jen Psaki is not exactly discouraging more illegal protests at the Supreme Court, which are, again, we should continue to note, illegal, federal crimes. You cannot do this. It is actually not. Everyone, when you see this footage and you think, well, how is that legal to, to gather an angry mob outside of a Supreme Court justice house, try to get them to change their mind about something? How is that legal? Well, the good news is it's actually not legal. The bad news is that um, the people in charge of enforcing the law are not going to do it. And in fact, they're going the other way. Listen to what Jen Psaki said yesterday. Listen. I know that there's an outrage right now, I guess, about uh, protests that have been peaceful to date. And we certainly continue to encourage that outside of judges' homes. And that's the president's position. We certainly continue to encourage that. What is that? Protest. Now, they're going to explain that away by saying, well, she meant encourage it to be peaceful. Well, one way or another, you are encouraging, quote, peaceful protests. When they're actually not peaceful at all. Okay, and they don't, they don't need to start throwing Molotov cocktails. I mean, they've already, started, they've already done that. Uh, we, the pro, pro-abortion militants and terrorists have already been throwing Molotov cocktails. But, um, and and, it's, and there's, there's no question that eventually it's going to get to the point of actual physical violence. But it's not really peaceful when, number one, it's against the law. And number two, the intention behind the quote-unquote protest is to intimidate. Not only that, but to intimidate a judge to change his decision on, on a case. That, it's hard to call that peaceful. Because there's always, there is the, the threat of violence, which is bubbling always under the surface here. That's the context. Okay? That's the, uh, that's the implication of all of this. The only reason that you, sh- that's the only reason that you show up. The only reason that you show up to somebody's house. I mean, it's one thing if you're picketing outside of a government facility, if you want to go outside of the Supreme Court itself and protest, well, you have the right to do that. But the only reason that you go to somebody's house is to send the message that number one, we know where you live. And number two, therefore you are not safe. So no matter what the protesters do when they get there, it is not peaceful. And Jen Psaki and the Biden administration knows that. But they are openly now, you want to talk about calling for an insurrection. They are openly calling for their supporters to break federal law to influence a Supreme Court decision. What you just heard from Jen Psaki is, goes way further than anything that Donald Trump said on January 6th. Because, in fact, Donald Trump did not at any point tell anyone to break the law. Uh, He he didn't say, oh, invade the Capitol building, but do it peacefully. I mean, if he had done that, then it's, I mean, it's game over. He He told them to go break the law. That's exactly what we just heard from the White House there. Yeah, break federal law, but do it peacefully. Uh, meanwhile, we've got Nancy Pelosi. We just heard from her, but she was also uh, talking about, you know, she, she is, of course, outraged by the fact that, um, that more babies are going to live and not be killed. And here she is reminiscing about the Republican Party of old, which was, she says, you know, among other things, uh, pro-abortion. Listen. The fossil fuel industry, it, 
They weigh in so significantly. I mean, how could it be that nobody on the Senate side cares, on the, in the Senate cares about climate? Some of them do, and they talk about it. When it comes to the votes, it just isn't there. They just aren't there. So rather than saying, well, we have to defeat them, no, let's just try to persuade them. I want the Republican Party to take back the party, take it back to where you were, where you cared about a woman's right to choose, and you cared about the environment, and all. <laughs> and all the great, all the, hey, here I am, Nancy Pelosi, saying this country needs a strong Republican Party, and we do. Not a cult, but a strong Republican Party. Yes, let's go back to when the Republican Party was pro-abortion. When was that exactly? I mean, she's right in a sense that um, the Republican Party has historically been, if not actively pro-abortion, uh, at least submissive on the issue and still largely is. And that's really what she's calling for is just, hey, look, this is always the message from Democrats, which is we can get along and, and we can all be friends or at least act like it as long as you do exactly what I want you to do. Just stay out of my way, cooperate with everything that, that I want to do, and, uh, and, and there will be no problem. We can have bipartisanship, in fact, in that case. Now we have Janet Yellen, who's the um, Treasury Secretary, and she was testifying yesterday in front of a Senate committee about uh, the effects of abortion on the economy. They brought her in to talk about uh, how it's going to, how it might hurt the economy if we stop killing babies or not, don't, not, not, not stop killing them, but rather if we slow the rate by which we are murdering babies, it will, it will maybe hurt the economy. She's very concerned about that. Let's listen to that. If the draft of the court's majority holding in Roe versus Way is the actual decision, what impact will the loss of abortion access mean economically for women? Well, I believe that eliminating the right of women to make decisions about when and whether to have children would have very damaging effects um, on the economy and would set women back decades. Roe v. Wade and access to reproductive health care, including abortion, helped lead to increased labor force participation. It enabled uh, many women to finish school that increased their earning potential. It allowed women to plan and balance their families and careers. And research also shows that it had a favorable impact on the well-being and earnings um, of, of children. All right. So we heard, we heard from her there. She, she's concerned that abortion will, uh, will hurt the economy because it'll stop women from participating in the Workforce. We have to be. We have to kill babies in order to, to help the economy. This is again. We we have to remind ourselves. This is what that's eugenics. That's what eugenics is. Um, you know, getting rid of the undesirables, the the you know the the the, the people that are slowing everything down, bringing the economy down. Just just exterminate them for the sake of the economy, for this very kind of utilitarian reason. Um, that's just a a form of eugenics, really. And on top of being morally atrocious, um, which it is for so many reasons, number one being you're totally disregarding uh, 
and ignoring the humanity and dignity and worth of, of the child. But also, it's again this message to women, which is that you have to choose between your child and your career. You, you can be successful professionally, or you can be a mother. And you have to choose one or the other. And the right choice, in fact, is to choose your career and kill your child. That's, that's the message, which is not so subtly embedded in what you just heard there. And our response to that, by the way, I think there's a little bit of uh, nuance here that we have to keep in mind. Because I, I think sometimes conservatives will respond to claims like that by saying, oh, that's, that's absurd. You can, you, know, you can be a mother, you can have your kid, and you can have, you can have everything. You can have all the financial success in the world. Lots of times uh, people will use someone like a uh, Amy Coney Barrett as an example. I mean, she's got, uh, she's adopted kids. She's had, she's had uh, you know, but she has biological kids. She has, what is it, five or six kids now. And she's on the Supreme Court. I mean, she's had enormous professional success. She's made it all the way to the very pinnacle of her career while being a mother to five or six kids. Um, and they use that kind of as an example. And that's, that's true. And that's a great point to bring up. But we should also acknowledge that very often there are going to be trade-offs. And if you just, if you have kids, uh, there are exceptions to this. There's no, you know, there's no guarantee. I mean, you, you, you kind of make your own path in life. But yeah, when you have kids, um, there's a certainly a financial sacrifice that goes with that. There's sacrifices that you make in your lifestyle. That's true. And I don't think we want to, we're not hiding from that. We shouldn't hide from that. I mean, we, we shouldn't respond to that by acting like, oh, having a kid will have no impact at all financially and everything will be fine. No, I know that, I know that that's the case in my own family. Anyone with kids, you know that. You know, when you have kids, we have four kids, you, you, you end up living a, 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 more, a more humble life than you otherwise maybe could have afforded to live. You're going to have, you're gonna have uh, less spending money. You're going to have less of, of ability to go on nice vacations and all these kinds of things. I mean, you're, you are making sacrifices. But the sacrifice is worth it. I mean, what you get in exchange for that is, is a family, is fulfillment. Um, is purpose, uh, is love, uh, is legacy. You know, you, you, you have something you're going to leave behind when you finally are released from this uh, mortal coil. So yeah, the sacrifices are there, but that's what you get instead. Because as it turns out, we are not all just cogs in the economic machine. Which is the interesting thing, because on the left... You know, they also, they, they um, pretend to be anti-capitalist and all this kind of stuff. But at the same time, they make us all seem like that's all we are. And especially if you're a woman, the greatest thing you could hope to be in life is, you know, to, to get a position in management at some corporation. To have a nice cubicle or even better, an office somewhere in an office building, in a skyscraper. Like that's, that is the pinnacle of human existence. Say the alleged anti-capitalists. It's not. When you decide to have kids, when you have a family, you get something much greater and deeper than that. And, you, and there are sacrifices. But anything in life worth having, there are going to be sacrifices that come with it. All right. 
let's go to this from the Daily Mail. It says a trend. Now, I want you to, I'm going to read this article as it was written. Okay, because that's really the main point I want to make about this, is, is the way that this is written. Okay. From the Daily Mail, it says, A transgender mother who forced the seven-year-old daughter she fathered to engage in child pornography at her New Jersey home has been jailed for 25 years without parole, along with three accomplices. Um, Marina Valls, previously named Matthew, was sentenced on Friday alongside another transgender woman, Ashley Romero, previously named Adam, and two other offenders, Sean Allen and uh, Dolcina Neko, 21, Vols 32 ran, ran a, quote, family-owned transgender pornography production studio specializing in amateur BDSM and taboo fetish content from her home in Franklin Township. Um, and it goes further into the details, which I'm not even going to read because it's totally horrifying. I mean, they, what they did to this child is just beyond description. And the fact that we're uh, I mean, 25 years in, in jail for sexually torturing your child is, that's a slap on the wrist. I mean, you, you might as well give him, you might as well just put him in county lockup for, for a day in comparison to what the penalty ought to be. I mean, just think about that. You, in the United States of America, this is someone sexually torturing and exploiting their own child and they're going to see the outside of a jail cell? In fact, he's going to be, you know, 25 years. They say without the possibility of parole. We'll see about that. Even if he spends every day of that in jail, um, you know, he'll be out by the age of uh, late 50s, early 60s. No, this should be you're convicted of it. And then the very next day we, you know, take you up to the uh, to the gallows and we take care of the problem. Public execution would be the, really the best solution here for somebody like that. But on top of that, um, we are respecting the pronouns and self-identification of a child rapist who raped and sexually tortured their their his own child. And that's how we end up with a with a phrase like she fathered, which would be bad enough, being as it's completely incoherent. But we're finding that phrase in this article about this person. Because we're afraid about we're, we're afraid of hurting his feelings. Raped and sexually abused his own child, and we're afraid that if he sees the Daily Mail article, he'll, his feelings will be hurt. Total, total uh, moral insanity. All right, this is from the New York Post. It says, Stanford University has launched a hate crime investigation after a noose was found hanging from a tree as, at a residence hall. In an email to students and staff, university officials said campus safety authorities immediately removed the noose and retained it as evidence. Um, the uh, an official at the university says, We cannot state strongly enough that a noose is a reprehensible symbol of anti-black racism and violence that will not be tolerated on our campus. It is the moral responsibility of those with any knowledge of this incident to come forward. Now, I'm only reading this story because I want to go. Usually, I ignore these stories until it, it is inevitably revealed that it's a hoax. So I just, I'm going to go on the record right now and say this is either a hoax. Now, this is, there's, there's two possibilities. 
Um, one is that it's just a straight-up hoax, probably the most likely one. The other one is that, and, and often we find in these kinds of stories, it, it turns out that it was, uh, you know, it's like a tire, tire swing that somebody misinterpreted or a garage door pull, famously, like at NASCAR. So I'm going to go on the record right now. And I give it about a week until we get the we get the meek, quiet sort of little update from the police saying, oh, yeah, it turns out that, uh, never mind, just forget about this whole story. And despite that fact, despite the fact that these hoaxes are so common that when you read the story, you already know for near 100% certainty that it is a hoax. Despite that, when they find the, quote, noose, uh, the statement immediately says, oh, it's a symbol of anti-black racism. Ha- I ask again, has there actually been a real authentic case in the last, in this century, in this century, has there been a real authentic case of, a, of an anti-black racist, a white person hanging a noose somewhere as, an, as a symbol of racism? Has, has that happened at all anywhere this century? I'm not aware of a single case of it. And I highly doubt that this incident at Stanford in California will, will be the, uh, the first such authentic example in, in the past century, at least. But one thing we can be sure is that uh, the FBI, the federal government, they're going to be on the case here. They sent, what was it, 20 agents to investigate the garage door pull in Bubba Wallace's garage. So how many are they going to send to Stanford? While they have crazed mobs violating federal law and hunting down Supreme Court justice. Uh, they don't have time to deal with that. They're going to be over in Stanford looking into this uh, tire swing or, you know, whatever it was. All right, another story. This is from Daily Wire. It says, Britney Spears elicited concern among her fans after posting a series of full-front naked pictures on Instagram on Monday. The photo shows Spears totally nude except for her hands attempting to cover her breasts and a small heart covering her genitals. Spears, who uh, has two teenage sons, is currently pregnant with a child. Um, wrote, quote, photo jump dump of the last time I was in Mexico before there was a baby inside me. Why the heck do I look 10 years younger on vacation? So this is something that Britney Spears is doing apparently a lot. She just posts these these naked pictures all the time. She's a 40-year-old woman, by the way. And um, But the story here is that now her fans are concerned. And so now, I guess originally when she started doing this, they were kind of into it. But now people are getting concerned about it. They're like, you're a 40-year-old woman. You're you know, you got all the money in the world. What do you do? What is this? What are you doing? And they're very worried about her mental health, which gives me an opportunity. You know how hesitant I am to do it, and you know how much I hate to do this, but it does give me an opportunity that I, I have to take advantage of to say, I mean, I told you so. What if Britney Spears is actually insane, though? Like, we, we seem to have ruled out that possibility. If she's, if she's actually in, I don't know. I don't know what her mental health can, situation is. Um, but if she's actually psychotic or insane or something, then that's probably why the conservatorship was put in place to begin with. It doesn't justify everything that's been done under the guise of conservatorship uh, necessarily, but that's why it's there. So all the protesters who for months or years now some of them showing up at the courtroom demanding, take the conservatorship off. Like, do you know something about Britney Spears' Spears's mental health situation that the people involved in this case, the judges and everyone don't know? What information do you have? 
Because what you're saying is, no, just take it off. But what if she really is not competent, is not able to handle her own affairs? Back when the whole free Britney movement was happening, I did address it one time on the show. And I, and I just wanted to remind everybody who, I guess they, they saw a Netflix documentary. And because of the documentary, they decided that, uh, oh, Britney Spears, she shouldn't be in a conservatorship. Like that was, to see this documentary, that was enough for them to make a, a, a judgment about Britney Spears' psychological state. And to declare that, no, she's perfectly capable of taking care of herself. She's not a threat to herself or others. And they all got that from a documentary, like 90 minutes. That was all they needed. And my point was, um, I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't know how you know that. Like, slow down a little bit. Um, I mean, there, there are cases where people are not psychologically fit and who do need conservatorships because they are a danger to themselves and others. Like, that does exist in the world. And how do we know that Britney Spears doesn't fall into that category? How do we know that exactly? Because although I admit I haven't followed her career that closely, what I do know about Britney Spears is that she's had multiple public mental breakdowns. And I also know that she lost custody of her kids in California. And as a woman, to begin with, in any court, to lose custody of your kids is almost impossible. To do it in California, I mean, you have to be psychotically insane and dangerous. It is very, very difficult as a woman to lose complete custody of your kids, especially in a court in California. And she did. And on top of that, not only a woman, California, and rich and famous, and she lost custody of her kids. That's actually all, as a common sense kind of guy, that's all I need to know. That's, I don't need to know anything else. I, I, I already know you've got serious, serious problems. If, if that happened to you in your situation. But all the, um, all the fans got together, said, free Britney, take her out of the, out of the conservatorship. Now, look, if, if the argument all along was, um, we don't think she should be in a conservatorship under her father, but someone else should be in charge of it, then that's a different... Again, I still wouldn't... It, it, I, there would still be a question about how you could possibly make that judgment as a person in the peanut gallery who has no intimate familiarity with the issue. You don't know Britney Spears. You don't know her father. You don't know anything. You haven't seen the mental health evaluations. You, have, you don't know any of that. So how could you possibly make the determination? But that's a different argument. And um, as much as her dad's been villainized, well, I, I would say he, he almost certainly mostly deserves it just based on the fact that he you know, sent his 16-year-old daughter off to become a sex symbol. I mean, he has, he has a 16-year-old daughter in the 90s uh, dressed as a Catholic schoolgirl singing, you know, hit me baby one more time. So that already tells me that you're a terrible father. So I, that I'm, I'm on board with. If you want to say he's a terrible guy, fine. But that wasn't the argument. The argument was, uh, well, let's just free her completely. And now the people that were in that movement are saying, oh, I don't know. She seems to be kind of crazy. Well, yeah. That's, that's yeah, generally, that, that's how you end up, you lose custody of your kids, you end up in a conservatorship. It's because you're crazy. That's, that's how that works. So nicely done, everybody. Give yourselves a pat on the back. Let's get to our daily, or rather to our comment section. Who makes a Twitter mob fly off the handle with rage? Who's to blame? It's a sweet baby. 
baby gang. All right, what do we got here? So Jesse says, I'm a little triggered by the girl in today's cancellation. She attributed Crocs to depression. Crocs are cool, comfortable, and stylish. They're also good for mowing lawns and grilling. Uh, no, I'm going to say my judgment call here is that Crocs are not acceptable. Um, if you're going for the lazy, ugly footwear thing, then socks and sandals are what you want to go. Socks and sandals are totally acceptable in really any circumstance. And so that's where you want to go. But I'm, I'm going to say no to the Crocs, unfortunately. Um, another comment says, Matt's next show. Matt doing a gut-wrenching interpretive dance on the left's latest foibles. That's when I get to a million subscribers. Okay, I get to a, I'm going to tell you this right now. And you know that when I make promises like this, I always keep them. I get to a million subscribers on YouTube. And I will do an interpretive dance to express my gratitude. Take that to the bank. Uh, let's see. Lynette says, I was under the impression that the phrase, it's okay to not be okay, was not intended to encourage succumbing to your situation, but rather acknowledging that your situation is tough and that instead of pretending you're okay, you should identify what's wrong and work to improve your situation. I mean, that may be one way to interpret that cliche of it's okay to not be okay. But that's not, you know, that's, that's not the way that phrase is often used. Maybe that's how it was originally intended, but that's not how it's often used. These days, my issue with it is that it's used as a way of saying, just like we saw in the video, the TikTok video, of the woman saying she was depressed and so she, does, you know, she, she doesn't brush her teeth, she doesn't practice good hygiene, she doesn't care. And she put the video out there because she wanted to be applauded for that. And she wanted to be affirmed in that kind of laziness and just sort of giving up and not caring about things. So the way the, way, the phrase is used in a, in, a, in a way that's very much connected to that kind of attitude of, well, hey, just kind of just live in it. Don't aim up. Don't try to overcome. In fact, it's considered offensive these days. If somebody says they have, uh, especially if they're struggling with something psychologically, they say they're depressed. To suggest that there's anything they could do or should do, you know, to take control, to, to uh, you know, to improve their situation psychologically, that, that's offensive to suggest that. I mean, if you're to say, something, oh, you're depressed, well, you know, here's some things maybe you could try to do that might make you feel a little bit better and might improve your situation in life and, might, you know, might, might help you see things from a different perspective. Unless all you're allowed to do is say, well, here's some drugs, take those. But anything beyond that is considered offensive. Uh, and finally, Lynette says, it's pretty funny how Matt's germophobia completely vanished in the wake of COVID. Yeah, it was something I was noticing about myself recently, too, is because before COVID, I, I admitted to being, you know, basically kind of a germaphobe. Um, and so you would think that if anyone would start wearing the mask and all that, I like I would be in that category as someone who's, you know, was worried about germs. But um, I'm actually, after, through, when COVID started through COVID and now, I'm a lot less worried about germs than I ever was before. So I, I went in the exact opposite direction of, I think, a lot of other people. And I think that's because, on one hand, I had the germophobia going on, but on the other hand, I have the kind of contrarian part of myself. And those two things were very much at war as soon as, as, soon as COVID started. And the contrarianism won out, which I think is a, is a, I take that as a success story, I think. Well, you know, there are very few social events that I will willingly subject myself to, let alone enjoy myself out. But Backstage Live happens to be one of them. Not that I 
not really willing either. I mean, I have to go. But still, um, I do enjoy Backstage Lives, and I think you'll enjoy it too. So here's your chance to join me and the Daily Wire crew for Backstage Live on June 29th at the historic Ryman Auditorium in downtown Nashville, Tennessee. We've been on a huge winning streak from suing the federal government to, uh, you know, to stop their tyrannical vaccine mandate to announcing our $100 million challenge to woke Disney with DW Kids. Uh, also, we have, you, you may not have heard, the best-selling children's book, as well. Uh, that makes this the perfect time to get together and celebrate. So come sit, listen, and marvel at me, Ben Shapiro, Michael Knowles, Andrew Clavin, and Daily Wire God King Jeremy Boring for our biggest live event of the year. Tickets go on sale tomorrow at 10 a.m. Central Time for Daily Wire All Access members and 12 hours later for the general public. If you're not an All Access member, don't miss out. Head over to dailywire.com slash subscribe and become an All Access member today. Daily Wire Backstage Live at the Ryman in Nashville on June 29th. See you there. Now let's get to our daily cancellation. Today we have uh, many cancellations to hand out, all revolving around a local Fox weatherman in Memphis named Joey Sulapek. Now, why do we need to talk about a weatherman in Memphis? I mean, what could he possibly have done to warrant discussion? Well, according to the media, he did a tweet. And not just any tweet, but a racist tweet. Indeed, the headlines, and there are a lot of headlines about this weatherman's tweet, all agree that the tweet was racist and that he is racist and that he likely holds Klan meetings in his basement every Tuesday. Just to give you an idea, here are some of the, the headlines. Um, just reading a few. Memphis meteorologist under fire over racist Draymond Green t- tweet. Local TV meteorologist in Memphis sparks furor with racist comments about warriors Draymond Green. Memphis TV station promises investigation after meteorologist sends racist tweet about warriors Draymond Green. Draymond Green, the, the target of Memphis meteorologist racial slur. And then Fox 13 TV weatherman makes stunningly racist comment about Draymond Green. Now, you'll notice that none of these headlines use the word alleged or purported or possible. If they use any qualifier at all, it's stunning. They simply assert that he used a racial slur, and that's the end of it. No further discussion necessary. But if you're wondering what the man actually said, as if such a detail even matters anymore, here's the New York Post article. It says, a Memphis-based meteorologist is under investigation by his employer, for using a racial slur in a tweet about Warriors star Draymond Green amid the Grizzlies-Warriors playoff series. Fox 13 Memphis chief meteorologist Joey Sulapek, who is white, tweeted the following after game three. Get ready for this. Uh, chew on this. Draymond runs his knuckle-dragging open mouth all game long, but mild-mannered Kyle Anderson disputes one call and gets ejected? Next level jackassery. Uh, and then it says, Sulapek reportedly deleted the tweet after facing backlash, and he later deleted his entire Twitter account. So, that's it. Did you spot the racism? Probably not, seeing as how he didn't say anything even remotely racially charged. He used the term knuckle-dragging to describe Green. That's a common expression, a kind of cliched insult, often applied to people of all different races, and meant to imply that they are, as the Oxford Dictionary defines the term, a stupid or loutish person. The dictionary makes no mention of any racial connotation, much less does it say that the term is a racial slur. In fact, it has never in my life even occurred to me to interpret knuckle-dragger in a racist way. And it's still not immediately clear to me why it would be racist, aside from the simple fact that it's an insult and we live in a culture so incredibly stupid that literally any insult of a black person is immediately assumed to be racist. But is there more behind it than that? Here's an article on the sports news site marca.com, and it provides this explanation. This is what they say. The term knuckle-dragger has long been used by bigots to describe an angry black man 
It is meant to compare them to a large and enraged ape, such as a gorilla. Wait, what? Since when has knuckle-dragger meant that? I have literally not once in my entire life ever heard anyone use it in that context. In fact, as is so often the case in these kinds of situations, you would have to be extremely racist to actually see the term as racist. If you hear knuckle-dragger and immediately think, oh, he must be saying that black people are apes, then it's you who harbors deeply racist thoughts and ideas within yourself. That's what's known as projecting. Ironically, we see again how the alleged racist villain is actually being penalized for not being racist. The weatherman is so not racist that it never so much as crossed his mind to interpret the term in a racist way. He insulted Draymond Green the same way that he would insult anybody else. He treated Draymond Green as, as equal. He didn't take his race into consideration one way or another, and for that, his entire career and his life will be destroyed. And on that note, his employer released a statement shortly after the non-racist racist tweet went viral, saying, during Saturday's Memphis Grizzlies game, meteorologist Joey Selopek tweeted a comment that does not reflect the values of Fox 13. We take this matter very seriously and will take appropriate action pending a full investigation. Translation, he's gone. And I'll never work in the industry ever again. Powerful people in the NBA have already set out to make sure uh, of that part of it. Green's coach, the leftist goober Steve Kerr, actually addressed the tweet during his post-game press conference. And here's what he said. Does it surprise me that a weatherman would tweet a, a slur at Draymond um, in 2022? Not in the slightest bit. This is, this is America. This is, this is how we operate. A slur. Like, is that? So we're going with that now. So we're going to call it the K-word? Are we going to get bleeped out if you say knuckle-dragger now? And Kerr, once again, bravely speaking out about the important issues of our time, such as a weatherman's tweet. Steve, Steve Kerr, he loves to give his opinion and run his knuckle-dragging mouth about many subjects. That is, unless you ask him about the NBA's relationship with China. That's when he suddenly gets very shy. He'll bravely denounce a weatherman in Memphis, but as for the communist government of China, which his company is in business with, he has much less to say. Nothing at all to say, in fact. Now, be that as it may, Kerr is right, actually. He says that this is what America is, and, uh, and, and this is what we, we do here. And he's correct um, that this is what we do here. At least it's what he does here, along with his leftist compatriots and the media. What they do is entertain themselves and advertise their own faux virtue and exercise their cultural power by destroying the lives of random hapless patsies like this weatherman. Much like they did with the OK sign, they've now simply invented a racial slur out of whole cloth. They've decided arbitrarily that knuckle-dragger is racist. Anybody who uses it in the future or who used it in the past, because these rules can be enforced retroactively, of course, uh, must face the consequences. Your intent doesn't matter. They will determine your intent. They will decide why you said what you said. They get to assign motivation and meaning to your, to your statements after the fact. There's not going to be any discussion about it. They will tell you what you meant, and you will accept it. At least if you're foolish and self-destructive, you'll accept it. And as far as that goes, Solopec is uh, trying to kind of have his cake and eat it too, as far as the apologies go. This is a common mistake that people in this situation make. Before deleting his social media, he issued a statement that attempts to defend himself against the racism charge while still apologizing for it. So he tweeted, anyone who knows me knows what I am. Race is never an issue to me. To anybody who was offended, I apologize, but there was no ill intent. 
Well, of course there was no ill intent. Obviously, you didn't mean it in a racist way. We know you didn't mean it that way because the term is, in fact, not a racial slur. We also know you didn't mean it that way because even if you were a raging racist, you wouldn't set your life and career on fire by advertising the fact on Twitter. We all, that, that's another thing that's always left out of these conversations of, you know, someone says something, and, oh, it was racist. Eat, like, in this fantasy world where this guy's racist, why would he say that? So you're saying he's not only racist, but he's psychotic on top of it. Because in order to, to be a, a, a person anywhere, but especially a public figure with any kind of platform, and to say something intentionally racist, that is racist against black people as a white person. Of course, we know if you're saying racist people things about white people, that's, you can totally get away with it. But to do it the other way, you, you would not only have to be racist, but you would also have to be a psycho. You would have to be a lunatic setting your whole life on fire for no personal benefit. So we all know that's not what happened here. Everyone who's pretending to be offended knows that. Um, the people in the media writing all of these headlines, defaming him, they all know this. Steve Kerr knows it. Nobody's hurt. Nobody's offended. And even if they are offended, who cares? Joey, you, you didn't do anything wrong. There's nothing to apologize for. By apologizing, you admit guilt even while in the next breath denying guilt. You have to pick a lane. And the lane you pick should be the one where you punch the cry bullies in the mouth and tell them to get lost. So here's a statement you should have issued, Joey. You should have said, I called Draymond Green a knuckle dragger because I wanted to imply that he's stupid and obnoxious, which he is. The same could be said about the outraged mob lying about me and calling me racist. I do not believe that any of you drama queens and phonies are actually offended. And whether you are or aren't, I do not apologize. God bless. That's the correct response. In fact, Draymond Green himself, interestingly, reacted to the apology on Instagram after the game by saying, don't apologize, stand on it. Now, in context, he didn't mean this as actual encouragement or advice. His real point was simply to amplify the story so as to further ruin Solopec's life. But however insincere his advice was, it was also solid. He's right. Don't apologize. Stand on it. Never bow to the knuckle-draggers in the cancel mob. Let them know that it is not you, but rather they who are finally canceled. And we'll leave it there for today. Thanks for watching. Thanks for listening. Have a great day. Godspeed. Well, if you enjoyed this episode, don't forget to subscribe. And if you want to help spread the word, please give us a five-star review. Also, tell your friends to subscribe as well. We're available on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, wherever you listen to podcasts, we're there. Also, be sure to check out the other Daily Wire podcasts, including The Ben Shapiro Show, Michael Knowles Show, The Andrew Clavin Show. Thanks for listening. The Matt Wall Show is produced by Sean Hampton, executive producer Jeremy Boring. Our supervising producer is Mathis Glover, production manager Pavel Vodowski. Our associate producer is McKenna Waters. The show is edited by Robbie Dantzler. Our audio is mixed by Mike Cormina. And hair and makeup is done by Cherokee Hart. The Matt Wall Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2022. The White House encourages protests outside the Supreme Court justices' homes. The Treasury Secretary warns that if we don't abort as many babies, we might not make as much money. And America undergoes a shortage of baby formula. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show.